You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome everybody watching at home online as well as everybody here today. If you're a guest visiting with us, we hope you feel welcome and appreciate you being here with us today. So this week, I heard about a gentleman named Harry. Harry went to his doctor on Thursday to review his test results. Pretty serious stuff. The doctor told him, um, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is you have 48 hours to live. The bad news is I should have told you on Tuesday. That's about as good as my jokes get. So if that's, if that's not going to land, then we're in trouble. All right. Well, today, we're really glad that you're here with us. We are kicking off a new series called Essential, and it's based off this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And uh, as we're going through the series, basically each week, we're going to take one of these, hope, faith, and then love. That's the order we're going to do them in. And uh, part of what we're doing is just looking at what are, why are these things essential to our faith? What does it mean when the Bible talks about them? And uh, we're just going to say thank you in the midst of each of these to somebody over the last year in our community who has really gone above and beyond um, in this particular area, and we just want to thank them. So I just want to say real quick that there is absolutely no way we could thank everybody who played a significant role over the last year in our community and in our world. There's just not enough Sundays. We're doing three Sundays. So this week, we're going to focus with hope. We're going to focus specifically on the medical community. And so uh, over the last year, in case you haven't heard, there was this thing called COVID. It was this virus that went around the world, and uh, I looked up the stats today. So as of the best I could find on the internet today, 32.9 million people in America got COVID. There were something like 586,000 people who died just in America alone. Worldwide, let me make sure I get this number right. Worldwide, there were 163 million cases of covid and there were 3.37 million people who died from COVID. I don't think that it's certainly over by any stretch of imagination yet, but as we could see with people continuing to come back, things are definitely getting a little bit better in the world. And so over the last year, there's a lot of us who've had to figure out a new way to do life, a new way to do school, a new way to do business, a new way to do relationships, and it's been a learning experience. But those in the medical community had an extra burden. They had to figure out not just how to do all of that, but also how to care for and serve all of us in the midst of that. And so what I did is I, I just asked two friends of mine who were in the medical community, I said, would you go to breakfast for me? I'll buy so that I can use everything we talk about at breakfast in a sermon and, and I won't feel guilty. And, uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, you make more than that. You should be buying. No, I'm just kidding. So I bought, and uh, I bought their breakfast and, and I said, look, anything you don't want to talk about, you don't have to share, you don't have to tell me, you can tell me later, don't use that. But they just, it was so good for me, I had no idea what they went through. I don't, maybe you didn't either. Maybe you're in the medical community and you feel the weight of it all the time. Here's some of what these two gentlemen shared with me. One of them said, you know, when everything hit a little over a year ago and we first started finding out about the virus, I was immediately afraid that I would get it and I would bring it home to my family. I think sometimes we think the medical community has greater insight than the rest of us, but they were getting the same reports that we were getting. And early on, none of us knew anything, did we? We didn't have all the information to say that we have today. We didn't know what did work or what didn't work. And so it was a struggle, it was a fear, it was an anxiety. One of the other gentlemen said, we were working like 18-hour days trying to figure out what to do and how to handle it. Every day there was a fear of the unknown. What is gonna happen next? 
I don't want to spread this to my other patients and definitely don't want to take it to my family. We saw a number of patients in the throngs of COVID and it was hard. I was fearful what I saw because I was legitimately worried that I might bring it home and spread it. As I talked to these two men uh, and the conversation went on, they got more comfortable and got food in their belly, right? They started to relax a little bit. Uh, as they started to open up more, what I found out was, see, here at the church, when we started to open up and regather, we, we had about 30 to 33% who started coming back quickly. And then it started growing from around August to October. And we went like 33%, 38%, 40, 42, 45, 48. We got up to around 50, a little over 50% or so from pre-COVID numbers. And then October hit and there was a new spike in cases. And all of a sudden our attendance went down. And I'm thinking about it from the lens of being a pastor, like, okay, so how do we love people, serve people? They're here, they're not here, what's going on? Are people getting sick? How do we play our part? And then what happened was, I didn't even think about it, the medical community kind of was starting to recover, and then all of a sudden it hit again, and the cases spiked, and their times had to spike, and their, what they had to put out had to spike, and there was a burnout that started to set in around October. By the time January rolled around, full-fledged burnout had started to begun in our medical community. And some of you know exactly what that felt like. In fact, one of the gentlemen said, January 2021, we hit the height of it all. Add to that the sad, the seasonal depression, and then the burnout factor. We literally couldn't pay people enough money to come in. We were offering two to three times the normal salary, and we couldn't get people in. You go to work and you have all this extra stress. Then you come home and there was literally no reprieve. We were working 10, 12, 16, even 18 hour shifts. A 12 hour shift was far more exhausting because you have masks and all this extra PPE protocols. Then you go home and kids need extra effort and energy because they're e-learning and trying to figure it all out. Honestly, one of them said, there was some extra jealousy of seeing other families having quarantine life and breaks, and you're going nonstop every single day. And then the other gentleman jumped in and said, yeah. And when people start burning out, it has a downhill impact on everyone else. All of these symptom or systems are built upon each other. And this group serves this group, this serves this group, takes care of this group. And so when one of them falls apart, the system falls apart. And I don't think I realized just how hard it was for those in our medical community. I was talking to another person who works at a local hospital this morning, actually, and was talking about the actual message coming up. And they said, you know, a lot of people who they don't think about, who they don't focus on, is those who go in and like, say, clean rooms in hospitals. You know, we talk about doctors and nurses, but you know, their job was essential too. They had to show up also, and they don't get paid what a doctor gets paid. They don't even get paid what a nurse gets paid. And it's a struggle sometimes because they had to come in the same risks, the same kind of hours, the same kind of craziness but they didn't necessarily get the reward of, well, at least it'll be worth my time and money. So look, what I wanted to do is, I just wanted to pause for a minute and say thank you. And I'm just gonna ask everybody in here, would you just join me saying thank you to my doctors, nurses, scientists, and anybody who works in a hospital in administration or cleaning or whatever it is, thank you. On behalf of all of us, thank you. Over the last year, uh, I had two family members end up in the hospital with COVID. By God's grace, both of them lived, but it was pretty serious, especially for one of them. I had a family member who got very sick and had to have a procedure that wasn't related to COVID, uh, but it was a very, very, very serious situation earlier this year, and I thank God for the medical community. My father-in-law got very sick roughly two years ago, and uh, I'll never forget, what, through all of these situations, 
While there's no perfect doctor, there's no perfect nurse, there's no perfect healthcare system, there's lots of things we all wish we could change, the thing that I'm consistently blown away with is to think to myself, I'm watching the pressure that this group handles. They make serious, life-altering decisions day in, day out, all day, every day, again and again and again and again and again. And depending on the particular field that maybe you work in, if you're in here, some of them literally work in end-of-care situations, end-of-life situations, I should say, and you're watching, and I'm thinking to myself, as I've been through some of these, going, wow, the burden that group must carry. And they go home, and they have to somehow figure out a way to turn it off and leave it behind and try to have joy in their life and in their day. But yet when they get up the next day, they're going to go in and that's what they're going to deal with over and over and over and over again. My mom was a nurse, so I definitely have a heart for all of you in a very special way. She was a nurse specifically for a cardiologist for about 25 years. And I watched my mom on Saturdays. She would read the obituaries. And I could tell on the days when one of her patients had passed because she would just weep. She would spend a lot of the weekend sad and sorrowful. And finally, when I was old enough to kind of process this, I'm like, mom, what is going on? She would say, I always wondered, like, what if? What if there was something I missed? What if there's something I saw? Or what if I would have, you know, talked to the doctor by maybe adjusting this or changing that? Or what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I'm like, mom, you're not God. You can't fix anybody. You can't change anybody. You can't save anybody. But that's the hard part, right? These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Biblical hope is not like we think of when we think of hope. I'm a Browns fan, so if you're new to Kingsway, you're visiting with us today or watching online, I'm sorry. You get what you get, right? Um, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, so it's not my fault. It's in the blood. And being a Browns fan, I have hoped for two decades that we would just have a team that could get to 500. Like our Super Bowl, because they've never been, our Super Bowl every year is, is the draft. So when we finally make the playoffs last year, I'm like a giddy little child in Christmas time. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe. People are actually talking about the Browns and the Super Bowl in the same sentence. And I'm like, maybe this will be the year. Maybe we can go to the, to the playoffs two years in a row. But then I'm watching the Steelers and the Ravens and I'm watching their drafts. I'm watching their offseason. I'm like, I'm not feeling real good about this. I don't have a lot of hope that they're actually going to be good, and that it wasn't just a fluke. It was a COVID year, and everybody else in the league was off. I have no hope that that's actually the case, because hope for me in this life usually looks like a results-based thing. I will have hope if over and over and over again, I see hope in this life, but that's not the way that the Bible speaks of the word hope. Biblical hope is confidence in what is to come. It's not a crapshoot. It's not a, eh, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I don't know how it's going to go. It is absolute confidence in what is to come. Now, I'm a, I'm a fan of a TV show that I'm, I'm not necessarily proud to be a fan of, so I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to give a little caveat, and I'm going to move on because I don't have time. But the show was called Scrubs. And for those of you who ever watched Scrubs, uh, Scrubs was like a, a TV sitcom about a, a hospital, and there was plenty of non-appropriate, objectionable material in the show. And what you aren't seeing me using this little illustration is, you aren't seeing the times that I'm looking away and, and saying to my wife, hey, just tell me when the scene is over. You aren't seeing that. That's a reality. We all have to figure out how to navigate this difficult, complex world. There are shows we don't watch. There are shows we turn off. There are shows we skip. We struggle through it like everybody else, trying to figure it out. 
I say all that because <clears throat> in the show, excuse me for a second, <clears throat> there's a doctor, his name is Dr. Cox, and he's like the older mentoring doctor. And there's a younger doctor, <clears throat> his name is JD. Now, JD is my twin brother. <clears throat> he doesn't actually look like me, but he acts like me. There are times my wife will have to look at me and say, Matt, are you here with us? Are you back? Like, what's going on? And I'll just like out of the blue go, we're going to need like 14 penguins and 35,000 yards of string, but I think we could do it. She's like, what are you talking about? Like, don't worry about it. We'll be okay. The kids won't get too hurt. Like, that is me. So Dr. Cox is mentoring JD. And one time, I remember in this one episode, he says this profound thing. He says, you know, JD, you, you've got to take your wins when they come around here because they don't come that often. And I thought, wow, what is it like to be in a profession? What is it like to live in a world where your best day may or may not have a positive result? One of the guys at breakfast uh, told me that over the last year, uh, a friend of his got COVID, he got very, very serious, and he nearly died. And literally that jumped his heart in the whole nine yards and he came back to life. He's like, man, it was a miracle. He goes, you know, you see on TV, this happens all the time. It is extremely rare for somebody to be coded and brought back. It is not normal. And I know that God's hand was all over this. We'll get to that more in a second. But I remember this other time when I was watching Scrubs and Dr. Cox said to JD this profound thing. They had just helped a patient and everybody else was like celebrating and, and, and Dr. Cox said something like, you know, all we're really doing is prolonging the inevitable. Let that one sink in for a second. When we go to our doctors and our nurses and we ask them to solve these impossible problems and to have some magic pill or wand that they wave that makes everything go away and get better, even on their best day, they're prolonging the inevitable. And it was no different, by the way, back with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that every person Jesus healed is no longer on the earth? Like every person that Jesus gave, if they couldn't walk, he gave them their ability to walk again. If they couldn't hear, he gave them their ability to hear again. Even Lazarus, he rose from the dead. The little girl, he says, Talitha Kuhlman, she comes back from the dead. None of them are walking around going, I just can't die 2,000 years later. That's how I'm going to sound in about 10 years, by the way. And um, the reality is it's all temporary. It's all inevitable, which is why biblical hope is so important. Because biblical hope isn't about this life. Biblical hope is about the life that is yet to come. Amen. Romans chapter five says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, let me just unpack this. Next year, we're gonna do a series on the book of Romans. I've put it off for 11 years. It's time to finally do it. So we're gonna tackle this book next year. Let me try to do a disjustice, an injustice, a lack of justice. I don't know. Dale Justice, he's one of our elders. Let me try to do something to this book and try to summarize the entire book for you in literally three minutes or less. Ready? Chapter one of the book of Romans. Paul's talking about Rome and how dark and evil the place is. He literally says that God has handed them over to their lusts and their desires and it's become a very dark place. And he goes on to describe what happens sinfully when God does that. Now, why would God do that? Because they have chased after things other than him. And he says, basically, if you want it, have it. But have all of it. Get what comes with it. But then in chapter two, Paul looks at the Hebrew, the Jewish people, and it says, look, and before you point a finger and wag your finger at them and condemn them, realize you're no better. 
Because you had the law, you knew what was good and right, and you didn't do it either. And so then when we get to Romans 3, he basically says, so therefore all of us stand condemned by God for what we've done. By the time you get to Romans 6, he says, and by the way, the wages of our sin, what we've earned from what we've done is death. But see, that's not the end of the book of Romans. That's what a lot of us have in mind. The reality is every doctor you see, every nurse you see who tries to fix you, put you together, you know, whatever it is, they're only prolonging the inevitable. Death is a byproduct of sin reigning in this world, but it's not the end of the story because there is still a hope for us. And this is not a gamble. This is not a maybe, what if, I hope it works out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a confidence that rests in God alone through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which, yeah, you can stop and give God the glory for that. Which is why in Romans 6, Paul comes along and he says, look, don't you know that when you were united with Christ in baptism, by the way, we had uh, two people baptized last service. So cool, yeah, and one of them's a nurse. Isn't that cool? Yeah. When you get united with Christ in baptism and you come up out of the waters, he says, in the same way that Jesus raised, or sorry, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you too will be raised to new life. We have a confident hope in him. This is what Paul's trying to build to here. Now, in Romans 5, he's saying this hope doesn't put us to shame. It's not like you're going to get to the end of your life and go, oh man, I sure hope that was the right choice. I sure hope I didn't waste my time there. No, God wouldn't dare let us be ashamed in that way. He is faithful and true to do exactly what he said he would do in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul calls the Holy Spirit a foretaste of glory, a down payment on an inheritance. Do you know when you receive an inheritance? When someone dies. And he calls the Holy Spirit a down payment on that inheritance. In other words, when you die, you will go to heaven. When you die, God will come through on his promises. He will be faithful. And in the meantime, you get a foretaste of glory. If you grew up in perhaps a smaller church, you've heard some hymns that refer to the foretaste of glory. What is a foretaste? Do you remember when you were a kid? My wife likes to bake. I'm terrible at baking. You don't want me to bake anything. I baked her a cake one time with my kids. I was like, that was it. That was like the climax of my baking moment. I don't bake, but she bakes and it's awesome. And do you remember like when mama baked or maybe your wife bakes or somebody baked in your family and they got the little whirly things, they go brrr, whatever those things are. Do you remember those things? Brrr, and they spin around. And then like they take them off and they've put the baked item into the oven and it's got to cook. And they say, who would like to lick these? And you go, ooh, me. And then your mom has to remind you, like turn it off first, right? Like <laughs> unplug it first. If you have a good mama. And then you hand them, you're like, ah, and it's like coming down your face and there's drool and it's all over your shirt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's not the dessert. The dessert is still in the oven. It's got to come out and you got to slather that puppy all over there. That's the dessert. The Holy Spirit is the foretaste of glory. It's the little bit of experience of God, of heaven on earth in you right here, right now. It's promised hope that is to come, but it's experienced hope now, even though there's death, even though there's disease, even though there's suffering, even though it hurts. God has not failed you. But here's the thing I want you to get. We're going to turn a corner now. God longs to care for his children. He longs to give you good things. He longs to provide for you. 
He longs to meet your needs. He longs to heal you. But your healing may not come this side of heaven. And everybody whose healing does come this side of heaven still ends up dying and going to heaven. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, I'll just set this up real quick. So it is said that the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And for 2,000 years, Christians have literally read the Psalms as prayers and worship back to God. So when we get to the Psalms, don't just read them like theology, like you would say Galatians or Ephesians. Yes, of course, but more than that, turn those words into your own words and give them back to God. That's the purpose of them. In Psalm 103, it says this, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Let's just stop there for a second. Some of you have some ailments that haven't been healed. So what do you do with it? This would take a number of sermons or papers or articles or books to cover extensively, but if I can just give you 30 seconds, a minute on this and do an injustice again, let me just try to cover this, okay? I believe with all my heart in miracles. Sometimes God uses medicine to accomplish those miracles. Sometimes it has nothing to do with medicine and the scientific doctor world can't explain it. I've seen both. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why God does do a miracle sometimes and doesn't other times. I am convinced both from what I see in scripture and what I've experienced throughout my life that God is good and I could trust him even when it doesn't make sense. And that's not an easy thing to say. It's not like I expect you just to accept that. I only know that if you keep pursuing him, your experience of him will be good as well. I often say this to people who are struggling and going through a hard season. We're gonna pray and ask God to heal miraculously but his answer sometimes is no, we're not yet. And then what I want you to do is to look for him in the middle of it. Keep your head up, keep your eyes open because you don't know yet what he's going to do, but I promise you, he won't leave you, he won't forsake you. When I was in a particularly difficult season of life and ministry, personally, family, at the church, I can say this now because we're safely on the other side. There were about five to 10 days that I wanted to quit. I was mad at God that he wouldn't let me quit. And I'd finally gotten to the point where I was like, I don't care, I'm done, I'm done, I'm out. Like my dad has a family business, I will go take over the family business, I'll make way more money than I do as a pastor. I was buying God off, God, I'll, I'll just give so much money away, you, you will want me in that job, God. You will put me over there. And no joke, like this only happened like five to 10 times in that season, but every time I'd literally gotten to the breaking point where I was like, I'm done, I quit, I'm out. Every time, God would do something crazy. Out of nowhere, as soon as the words are coming off my lips, literally within an hour, I'm not joking, maybe two at the max, I would get an email, a text, a phone call. One time, I went to Kroger, so I was like, I gotta get out. I, gotta, I just, gotta get, just gotta get out of here. So I was like, I'm gonna go to Kroger and buy a Starbucks, and I'm just gonna go over there. And uh, there were no face masks in this season, so somebody saw me and recognized me and came over like, are you Matt Nickus? I'm like, I just wanna get away from people, God. And they come over to me and they're like, I just need to tell you what an impact you've had on my life. 
And I walked out of all of those and I went, fine, you get one more day, but that's it, God, you get one more day. (laughs) And look, it was our little way. Like God was like, I see you, I see you. It's what I needed to know I wasn't wasting my life. I needed that small thank you, that fuel in my tank that says, don't quit, keep going. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing. I believe God can heal all diseases. But the fact that it's a miracle means it doesn't happen all the time. And every single one of us are going to die. It's not a matter of if, it's when and how. That is not something that should cause us fear because this is not the end. This was never the point. This part of our life is not the eternity. It's just a blip on the scene of the whole thing. This is why the very next section, he goes on, he says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. God will satisfy your desires. Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that God's gonna make you handsome, rich, and wise. He's gonna give you the perfect spouse. He's gonna give your spouse the perfect spouse because he's given them you. That's not what I'm talking about. God's gonna upgrade your car and upgrade your vacation. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe God desires for you to prosper. And when I use the word prosper, I mean to thrive in his world. I believe that God wants you to experience the goodness of him. Paul comes to this conclusion. He says, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned to be content. He had to learn it. I've learned to be content, meaning it's not about having an abundance of everything. It means you're enjoying the life that God has given you here. And by the way, Paul died too. See, the greatest gift that God can give you is himself. And that is the foretaste of glory. That is what heaven is all about. I know it's hard to understand if you're new at this or you don't have a relationship with God yet, but the greatest thing God could give you is not a bigger, better car. It's not. You've driven bigger, better cars. You weren't any happier. You wanted another one. But when you get God, you get all of God and you get the goodness and the life that comes from him. Eternity is gonna be your life flourishing in his presence forever. And everything you've ever wanted will be yours Because what you really want is not more, it's him. And I know that may seem hard and complex and difficult, but I want to show this to you. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is doing some teaching, and he says to the group, here, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion? Now, what Jesus is setting up here is, look, Even though you aren't good people, you know how to give good gifts. Now, one of the things Jesus did here, kind of the unintentional consequence here, is he basically just said, you aren't good people, which really is offensive to me and most of my American brothers and sisters. Because we believe in general that we're all good people. And God ought to want all of us in heaven. But what Jesus goes to here is he's about to build something. Look, you, you know how to do this. You fathers, right? If your kid's hungry, you don't say, have a scorpion. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good prank with the best of them. But this is too far. He goes on, he says, if you then, though you are evil, like he doesn't just say you're not good, like even though you are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see that? God, I need you to heal me. What you really need is more of me. God, I need you to fix this problem. What you really need is more of me. 
Because one day this body is going to fade away, this body is going to break down, this body is going to give out, and when it does, you're gonna get me for eternity. Because in him is life, and in him is hope, and in him is faith, and in him is joy, and in him is pleasure, and in him is delight. In him is all you've ever been looking for anyway. Notice it doesn't say, God will give you everything you've ever asked for. God will give you himself, and it's the thing you need. Medical community. I know it's been a hard year. I know some of you are tired and weary. I know there's been times you wanted to quit. One of the guys at breakfast I thought was fascinating. He said, early on, everybody was for us and cheering us on, but grace seemed to disappear quickly. Things turned to pretty negative. Honestly, people needed more social interaction and community, but there just wasn't any to have. It's been a hard year for all of us, hasn't it? Some of you lost loved ones. In between the services, I got an email from somebody watching at home online said, I've been really following your church for three years. And then they went on to tell me about a terrible medical tragedy going on with their child. I believe they said their child was like 11, 12 years old. And they're wrestling with this message because they said, I just can't believe that God isn't going to heal my child. I don't know what God's going to do. No doctor, no nurse knows what God is going to do. Half the time we can't explain what happens when it does happen. But I know this, God is good all the time. So keep going, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Keep going, not just the medical community, you keep going. Don't abandon your faith. There's no hope there. Our only hope in this life is that this life isn't the end. I spent way too much time this week studying the book of Revelation because I thought, I'm gonna do the sermon from the book of Revelation because uh, I did that series a few years ago and then I got into it. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to cover the book of Revelation. There's no way. It's not gonna happen. But in the end of Revelation, we're told with absolute confidence there'll be no more crying and no more suffering, no more tears, no more disease. No more sickness, no more evil, no more sin. For the Lord our God has come and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Amen. And so anybody who wants to come to him can come. All who are thirsty could come and drink from the water of life and let him fill you up and give you springs of living water that are flowing out of you. Don't quit. Your hope is not for this life. Hope is in the life yet to come, which is ours now in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which is why the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's written to a group of people who want to quit. They keep going back to the old system, the Jewish way, the Old Testament way, the sacrificial system, and they're thinking about abandoning their faith because it's hard. It's hard to hold on to faith when it doesn't look like everything's working out the way you'd hoped. And they wrote this book. It's so fascinating to read, just saying, don't quit. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith 
and patience inherit what has been promised. And there is your hope. Keep doing good things. Keep bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Keep faithfully serving and loving. Hang on until the end and then let God look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna close with, yeah, I wanna close with two last things, okay? First, I wanna encourage everybody in here. At the beginning of the quarantine, people gathered and did worship nights like at the hospital and people wrote thank you notes that said, you know, go, go medical community. We're with you, we're for you. There might've been a little selfish motive like you go get it because we all need you to save our butts. I don't know. <laughs> but I know this, like most things, the energy fades and that community is tired. You know the way that God tends to meet us in our greatest hour of need, it tends to come through someone else. It tends to come through a friend or a family member or somebody random at Kroger interrupting your Starbucks time. Just kidding. Just saying thank you. I want to encourage you this week. If you know a doctor, a nurse, somebody who cleans at a hospital, if you know somebody in the medical community, perhaps they're in leadership. Maybe perhaps it's a PT. I don't know. Whatever. Would you just... Send them a text, a phone call, an email. Send them a card. I thought this was fascinating. At uh, breakfast, one of the guys said, you know, people came out to appreciate uh, us was huge. Even people saying, hey, I know this has been a load for you. Thank you for what you do. It goes a really long way for us. We've had some anonymous people bring food. In fact, one time somebody brought $500 worth of food to this particular doctor's office. And that goes a really long way. One of the other gentlemen said, the worship service at IU West was pretty amazing. And then the other one said, a written card or just a true pause. Just look at somebody and just say, hey, thank you. It goes a really, really, really long way. And I thought this was awesome advice. Just don't ask, how can I thank you? Just do it. If God puts it on your heart to take someone a meal, do it. And I'll build on that. And through this message, God puts on your heart to give somebody a gift card, do it. If God puts on your heart to cut somebody's grass and just say, hey, man, why don't you spend that extra hour with your kids or take a nap, do it. Whatever God has put on your heart, do it. But here's the one thing I ask. Don't make it about Kingsway. Don't go to them and say, well, my pastor said or my church said, just do it. If they end up, give God the glory. Say, hey, I've been convicted by God. I just want to bless you. I just want to say thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, thank you. Like, give God the glory. If they end up going to another church and talking about it, praise God. In heaven, you can high five them. It'll be awesome. We don't need the credit. We want God to get the glory. We want God to get the credit. This is a big deal to me, okay? The second thing. Can I get all of our doctors, nurses, scientists, medical community, I don't care if you're in the upper leadership, would you just stand for a moment? Would you just stand? I know you don't want the glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Proverbs 27.2 says this, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider, not your own lips. You ever notice if somebody praises himself or does a humble brag, it doesn't come out right, does it? The point of this, though, is you don't do the humble brag, let somebody else do it. That's a two-way scenario, right? It's a two-way equation. 
It means I've got to be humble and other people better open up their mouth. By the way, husbands, this goes really well with your spouses. I'm just saying. But take time to just say thank you. The other passage I want to share with you is, um, this comes from the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, for this very reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So listen, why don't we just this week, if nothing else, just say thank you and remember the medical community in our prayers. We're gonna do that in just a moment. Before we do that, I just wanna throw this out there. I've taught you the message of Jesus Christ the best way that I know how today. But I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here in the room, man, why wait? Eternal life is waiting for you on the other side of one decision. Maybe today's your day. You can literally come down front, talk to any of our staff or our Connect team members. You can go to the Connect app, the little table right up there that says Connect. Just say, I think today's my day. I didn't know it when I showed up. If you're watching at home or anytime, it could be Tuesday or Wednesday this week, you could text CONNECT, just the word CONNECT, to 317-565-4911. That text prompt stays active and live all the time. So if it's two in the morning and all of a sudden God gets your attention, you're like, I'm ready, just text the word CONNECT. We'll follow up as soon as Andy wakes up. He'll be in charge. He'll be touching you as soon as he can. We love you. Now, what I wanna do is I wanna pray a blessing over all of you, but especially our medical community, and then we're gonna sing a song of hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for our doctors and nurses and, and scientists and everybody that plays a part in that system, Father. I couldn't name them all if I wanted to, but God, we thank you for them. We thank you for the work that they do to serve us. We thank you for the expertise and the training that they've gathered, studying our bodies and studying this world that you've made. God, we live in a world that desperately wants to meet our needs, but sin has broken it. And so it doesn't fully meet our needs. So God, between now and then, when eternity comes and all of a sudden the world does meet our needs the way you created, sin is no longer in the way anymore. What exactly that looks like, I have no idea. But God, we pray a blessing over all of these medical professionals. We pray a blessing, Father, that they would feel the fuel in their tank, that these thank yous coming from them would be an encouragement and a fuel to keep going and not quit. God, has been a hard year. And I don't know how much longer this thing is gonna be an issue in the world, but I do pray, God, I ask in the name of Jesus, may a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy pour forth from us, God. May a light in the darkness, may we keep pointing people to you, God, because you and you alone are our hope. So fill us up with your energy, fill us up with your life, fill us up with your light, that, God, we might go filled with the Holy Spirit, able to love and to serve again. And for anybody who's thought about quitting along the way, God, lift them up on wings like eagles. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, all God's people said.